Welcome to Lessons for Leaders. This week I'm talking to Anthony Taylor about why setting boundaries is essential to prevent burnout. He talks about how it was a challenge to switch off and sharing the boundaries that he put in place, why you need to plan out your year and why time blocking is essential. He also shares that setting those boundaries was not the problem that he thought it was going to be and how clients were much more accepting than he anticipated. And we touch on why senior leaders need to take the lead in setting boundaries and sharing experiences and listen in for some real life examples that you can learn from with this. And don't forget to listen right to the very end for Anthony's big top tip for the single biggest thing that helps you set those boundaries. So listen in for today's episode. So welcome to Lessons for Leaders. Each week I bring you lessons, learnings, tips and advice to enable you to lead with ease in business without the stressed out and overwhelm so that I help you increase your performance, be resilient and thrive in life. I'm Emma Langton, your host, leadership coach and workplace trainer, helping you and your workforce increase that performance, improve well-being and make the impact that you want in the world. Now, recently, I've been seeing an increase in organisations contacting me to discuss wellbeing workshops for their employees. Even though we've got a lockdown timeline for releasing restrictions, I'm seeing an upturn in stress levels and it's affecting performance and mental wellbeing, particularly when we're being challenged with remote working. So if that's the same for your organisation, then I have a limited amount of virtual workshops that I'm able to tailor and deliver to your organisation so that over the next six weeks, we can ensure that your people are able to reduce those stress levels, even in challenging situations, so that they're able to get proven coping strategies and be able to perform at their best whilst improving their mental health and well-being. If you want to talk about this support or any longer term plans, then get in touch with me at my website, emmalangton.com, and we can have a conversation about what we can do to support you. One client said, Emma's training honed in on current issues perfectly and she was able to vocalise what the group were feeling and pinpoint the underlying causes and issues whilst also offering very attainable and actionable solutions. The feedback has been fantastic and the team is much more confident and better engaged and able to focus on their work. I would highly recommend Emma. Oh, blushes. But yes, that's exactly what it is that I do. So please do get in touch with me. I'm always happy to have conversations. If you're not ready to do that yet, then you can get onto my newsletter. Again, link in the show notes and information on my website at emmalankton.com. The newsletter sends out tips, information, statistics, the latest reports and the current organisational trends that are happening right now so that you don't have to dig around for it. It comes out monthly so you can guarantee that I won't be spamming you. And finally, a request from me that if you haven't hit the subscribe button or left a review for me, then please do go and find the little button and leave a review. Let me know your key thoughts and your takeaways and what you value most 
from the podcast. If you hit subscribe, it makes sure that you never miss another episode. So today I am delighted to be joined by Anthony Taylor. Anthony tells us he works with people to get the best out of them, which means that we're going to get along just fine because I am known often, you know, as um, being somebody that kind of cracks the whip a little bit and gets people doing stuff rather than just being a listener. So, Anthony, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me on. Nice Nice to be here. I really appreciate you coming. So do you want to just be able to tell the listeners a little bit about what that means when you say you help people get the best out of people? Yeah, sure. So I typically work with um, organisations of all sizes, from the, from the smaller ones right up to the big global um, companies. And I work with them when they're concerned about how do we get the best out of our people while looking after their well-being and mental well-being. So I do a lot around what I call mental fitness, which is the intersection of three key things. One around mental toughness and resilience. So I do a lot around work around that, measuring, working with individuals and teams. A lot around emotional intelligence, because without good self-awareness and emotional intelligence, mental toughness when it's high can be can be counterproductive. So I do a lot around that. And then around mental health as well. I've been a mental health first aid instructor for three years now. So that's that's what I do. That's my sweet spot and where I work with, with individuals and with companies. And I love that because there's few aspects that are kind of align a bit with some of the work that I do. And then there are some aspects that um, you know sit very, very nicely alongside it. Um, I've found that sometimes when I say to people about emotional intelligence or a lack of it that you can get some people switch it off a little bit I don't know what you find do you want to just talk a little through a little bit about what you do with that I think you're absolutely right it's the same thing for me as well I think sometimes there's a perception with emotional intelligence because of that that if somehow you're low that somehow you know it creates to being a bit thick and no one likes to be told they're being a bit thick no. so I think you're right self-awareness is something that people find a bit less threatening. It's no less uncomfortable sometimes, especially when you've got to be, you, you are becomes more self-aware about some of your thoughts or behaviours or beliefs or actions. And it's the same around mental toughness. You know, mental toughness is quite a polarising term. Some people hate it because it's got all the wrong connotations, you know, big biceps and balls, uh, and other people are accepting of it. Um, but yes, it has a similar connotation sometimes. And that's why I knew we were going to get on on this podcast, you know, because actually we don't shy away from things that people are going to kind of struggle with a little bit as well. How did you get into doing all of this? Uh, I've always been fascinated around the sort of, you know, psychology mental game. I think that comes from coming from a medical family. My mum was brilliant at reading people and working with people and, and helping them in her line of work. And then I got to age 40. I was broke, I was a single dad from a divorce that came out of nowhere, and I'd recently been made redundant as head of commons from a, a large organisation because of down to organisational change. And that's the second time, third time actually, that happened in my 20-odd year career. And I just thought, you know, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of my family's future being at the be- out completely out of my control. I'd rather rise or fall by my own merits. So I took some time out. Uh, to figure out what the heck I really wanted to do with my life and I realized that it was coaching and training and I'd been a coach for a number of years beforehand in in internal roles in an organization I had some training around that and decided to to follow that. What's been the kind of highs for you in in running a business and what's been the lows? The highs have been um, 
you know, every time we get to sort of win a bit of business, there's a bit of a high from that, it's fantastic. And then you get to deliver it and you get the great feedback. And sometimes people come to you and say, well, you really made a massive difference in my life um, or that's been really useful. Um, sometimes that might be immediate. Sometimes it might be, you know, sometimes six months down the line, someone drops an email just to say, I'm still using this and it's making a difference. And you just think, wow. So those are the kind of highs. Some of the other highs are having a bit of a flexibility around your time and how you use your time. The lows are spending more time working on your business um, than you ever did working for in the corporate world. And I used to work some long hours, but now sometimes as a business owner, it's a challenge to switch off. So I, I would say I work longer hours. I'm getting better at it. The, the more, the longer I've been in business, I'm getting better at putting systems in place that are going to help with that. But that's been the biggest challenge. It's massive, isn't it? Because, you know, that a lot of us start, you, you talked about kind of wanting control after, after three redundancies, but, and then there's a lot of people that go into it saying, you know, I'm working all these ridiculous hours for corporate organisations and then I will have much more control. And that's where I began to do an awful lot of work with people on boundaries, kind of always switched on lifestyle that we've had. It's a topic I adore working with and talking about What's been some of the most important boundaries that you've needed to set? Some of the boundaries I found were, you know, the kind of things that got me into a bit of a, a mess last year were around not setting that. It was around, I thought I was being really good. I had a good structure to my day. Um, I would turn off the, the laptop at night at 5.30, 6 o'clock. Um, but then what I wasn't doing was not switching off my brain. Yeah. And sometimes I'd then be on my phone. I'd be looking at other things. I'd be reading new things to think about work and how can I apply this and how can I do that and I was constantly sharpening the saw which is great but if you constantly sharp the saw you're going to wear it down and that's what I ended up doing um, and so I was up from six in the morning and I wasn't really switching my brain off till 10 11 o'clock at night and and then that ended up leading to me suffering quite a nasty episode of burnout because I wasn't taking my own medicine. There are so many people that I talk to particularly whether you know, whether it's the one-to-one -one coaching or whether it's the group coaching in, uh, for managers in organisations, and even then on the webinars and things, and people go, oh, God, that's so obvious, and I used to do that, or I do know this, or we do know it, but then because there's so much going on, or we've got other interests, or with some people, it's about being stretched thin or pressures and desires and things that we it's easy to forget this stuff our brain can only hold so much information and the rest just gets pushed to the back or you know sort of god forbid off the shelf altogether really so what did you notice that burnout was coming no i had no idea so it literally came up and bit me on the backside it was 20 past 10 on sunday night of october half term last year i was packing to go away on holiday my fiance and i normally have a we call it our mental health week there's the irony um, and we go to uh, Newquay for a week, just us and the dog. The kids normally go away to other spouses um, and we have a nice week on the beach. This this year, my stepdaughter was coming with us. And at 20 past 10, and then suddenly I said to her, I was packing my bag, I said, I really don't feel very well. And and then I actually thought, Christ, I'm having a heart attack. Um, and then over the next hour and a half, I uh, had these symptoms of either a cardiac event or as a you know, panic attack. And so I ran my dad as a doctor and he said, well, it's unlikely to be a panic attack with you. Um, so better get yourself down to hospital and get checked out. Anyway, so I did, spent the night in hospital, had a barrage of tests and basically it was, it was a panic attack. And then I spent the next 
But if you'd asked me 30 seconds before that hit, was I stressed? I'd have said no. Business was going great. I was really busy. I had work lined up um, for the next four or five months. I had no financial worries. Everything was great. Things were a bit stressful with my stepdaughter and looking after her. But I would have said, no, that was great. Um, and then and then it wasn't. And then I wasn't. And then yeah. I spent the next six weeks struggling with what I refused to call anxiety. I couldn't complete switch off because I had client delivery to do. Yeah. But every time when I wasn't delivering, I would literally go and meditate. I'd go and relax. I'd switch off. I'd wind down. I rescheduled my diary out to push things back in, in December into January just to buy myself three complete weeks off um, to be able to kind of just wind down and recover. But that period took at least uh, eight weeks, really. Yeah. But then it's not just about having the time off, is it? It's about, it is then, then it's about making sure those boundaries are in place and that they continue and some of the other ways to support ourselves. Um, And that kind of recognition bit about what we need is absolutely just becomes kind of part of our lives, really. Mm. Um, And I always say to people this, this stuff kind of ebbs and flows and we sort of get it into our lives and it just seems to, you know, it flows away beautifully and then it kind of does ebb away again because we've, it has become just kind of like, you know, business as usual, everyday life. And then we forget to put the importance on it. So that's where it flows away. And then we go, oh God, I'm not feeling very, very well. So we put it all back in again. This is what I mean about the ebb and flow. But we, and I often say to people, you will forget to do this. And then you'll get to a point where you'll go, oh my God, I'm not doing that thing that Emma said. So what sort of things have you now kind of made sure that you put in place? Well, firstly, yeah, I think it was a fantastic lived experience. It was scary. It was incredibly uncomfortable. Um, You know, at points I was worried about whether I'd done some lasting damage mentally and that scared the hell out of me. Um, So now I'm really much. So one of the first things I did was I set my calendar out for the year. So as a self-employed person before, um, I never kind of did that. I was always, you know, loosely think, yeah, I'd take some time off for the kids. And now I've got, my, they're, they're already blocked out. So I know I've got them up on, on my board in front of me here. I know exactly what weeks I've got off during the year. And I'm giving myself six weeks off this year. And they're pre-planned in my calendar. So cool. nothing's nothing's going to go in. So that's great. And here's a funny thing. When I started to be better at setting the boundaries that you talk about, what a couple of things happened. One, I found clients were more accepting of it. It wasn't the problem that I thought it was going to be. And yep. they're like, oh, okay, right, yeah, it's fine, no problem. And it gave me a lot more confidence to be able to do that. So there's that. I got it back into better routines, which is something I talked about during the day in terms of in the morning, I start my day with a kind of five-minute walk, 10-minute walk, just a quick commute, round the, round the estate, just come back, signals my start to my work day. And then I try and nip out at lunchtime with my fiance. We go out for 10 or 15 minutes with a dog. And then and I have an hour for lunch. So that's blocked off in my calendar. So I use something called time blocking. So that's blocked off every day, 12 to 1, an hour off for lunch. And we try and go for a walk. Occasionally a bit of client work will creep in. But then whatever I do, I usually say, right, well, if I'm finishing client work at 12.30, I've got to 1.30 off. So I'm always having that break. And then try and bookend the day. So when I shut down, we try and go for a short five or 10 minute walk or do a bit of a workout or something just to say that's me done. And then I'm not looking at stuff in the evening. I just refuse to engage with work related stuff. Um, I'm just spending time hanging out, playing a game, you know, watching a film, reading a book. I'm learning to play the ukulele. So, you know, anything other than work. Brilliant. I love that you're going to play, you're playing the ukulele. That is fantastic because we all need something, you know, that is creative, 
that's in there as well. I bet there's loads of people listening to this that are going, oh my God, I couldn't possibly do that. You know, if somebody says that to me in a workshop, in a coaching session, I would tend to put it back and, and, and dig a bit deeper about what's going on there. But what would you say to somebody if they said, oh, I couldn't possibly, you know, not work in the evenings? Um, I think it comes down to what your priorities are. Yeah. Um, and you know, so sometimes you know, no one on this planet is um, that essential that you can't have a few hours off. I don't care if you're the chief executive of Microsoft or Google or whatever. If you, and it's just not that important. But we like to think we're that important. But actually, and it's who are you most? Who are you more important to? So one of the things when I'm working with managers, I say to them, you know, if you, who's the most important? What's most important to you? Your work or your or your home, your family? And I'll say, well, family, absolutely. So why do we give them so little time? Yeah. Why do we give this mistress called work? And it comes down to fear. It comes down to fear of losing our jobs or fear of losing approval because somebody thinks we're slacking off or whatever else. And this is where I get quite passionate about this. Senior leaders and organisations have to take the lead in setting the culture. There's no point sending middle managers on time management and all this kind of stuff if they're then sending emails out at 8 o'clock at night and expecting people to reply. The, the, the culture of an organisation is simply what how we do things around here. And that is unequivocally set by the people at the top. Completely makes me want to kind of fist pump the air. You know, that is oh, so much about, you know, with what, with what I talk about, it's got to set the example. And, and as you say, then that sets the culture, but it's, it's not just talking about the culture, it's demonstrating the culture, you know, and it's, it's living it, it's breathing it, it's, it's walking the talk as well. And there's been a lot of people that I've been talking to recently that have been kind of like, you know, what can I do for this? And what can I do when I say interview? Interview your senior leaders or get them to put a little paragraph message in your newsletters or whatever it is that's going out there that says, you know, this is what I've struggled with. This is what I do. Here's a little story. You know, this is what I've experienced, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because that is the way that's going to set the example and properly lead the teams. I've just been working with two contrasting organisations, both really big companies. One whose senior leader really struggled with a bit of burnout and admitted that that she, that she was in tears much of the day before. So we, we designed up that's we delivered some training for workshop for their people. But she delivered, she, she shared her experiences and she was said, look, I asked this to happen and this is the reason why I don't want you like me. Here's, we've got to set these standards, we've got to set these boundaries. This is what I'm looking for. I don't want to see you guys emailing at eight, eight nine o'clock at night. You know, we've got big global company. But then we've got another one, not global, but big in the UK, putting their people through a load of mental health awareness training. Um, but then they did some research to show that their guys had done 30% more hours on top of their core hours, which are eight till six wow. during lockdown. 30% more. And, and the very prevailing thing was, well, I don't even know why we're bothering this mental health stuff, but you know, we've got to do it. So on the one hand, they're putting all these people through it and we've ticked a box, but the people can't do anything to change it because the culture from the top says, you know, you've got to put these long hours in. And so it's just, yeah, it's, it's a challenge. It really is. It is a challenge. I've seen it two different times. One was re one was fairly recent and one was kind of back last summer or last September time that there was um, studies and surveys and then obviously, you know, hit the news about um, people working 
I think it was like 30% more through the pandemic than they have at any other time. The thing is that some organisations are kind of almost justifying it by saying, but people are looking uh, looking after kids. Well, that should still only mean that they're doing the car hours. They might be doing them flexibly and across a different timescale of the day, but it shouldn't be any more hours than, than what they were doing beforehand. It might just look a lot different. But the big thing that's missing there as well is trust in that people will get the work done. Absolutely. It's interesting, isn't it? I, I did some work recently with the global company with their Far East Asia team, so Asia Pacific region. And so I was doing some research around that, around mental health and other things. And what came out from my research was in that particular region, they work 20%, 25% longer hours yeah. and are 20% less productive. Wow. And mental health issues and physical health issues are run at far higher than in the, than in the Western world in the UK. Uh, you know, so yeah, absolutely. You can beat your guys down, you can have them on time, but they're not as efficient. So they're not, there is a moral and a commercial reason that makes you know benefit to getting people to work their hours, work them efficiently, and giving them that, that mental downtime. You cannot, you know, it just doesn't work otherwise. And, there, and there's the there's the you know the proof in that. And funnily enough, I've got a friend who set up a PR agency five uh, seven years ago now, I think it was from scratch, literally nothing. And they have one value, life happens. And what that means is if you need to take time off to go to the dentist or go and look after your sick child or whatever it is, you just go and do that. You don't have to justify, you don't have to explain it, you just take it. But they've grown exponentially from two people. They're now about six offices strong. They've got 60 odd people. They've got turnovers of you know four or five million pounds, I believe. And they're growing like mad. And that's their one company value, life happens. And it's basically, we trust you to deliver work for us while you're working for us. And, you know, and if you need to go and take time off, we've got you back. That, I love that. That's absolutely fantastic. And that's what we need mm. in organisations, you know. Um, one of the things that I do as well is explain to people about what happens in the brain. Um, yes. But I don't use all the technical terms and things like that. I kind of basically just talk about stuff and fire alarms and, you know, brain fog and things like that but explaining how, you know, your brain gets overloaded and this is why it switches off and then you can't focus and then you're not productive and then you think, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? And everybody else looks like they're doing fine type thing because we're all on social media going, woo, isn't this marvellous? And then when people get that understanding, they tend to very much kind of be much more open to doing different things and in different ways and having that understanding rather than people just thinking I just need to time manage or I need to work harder to be able to get you know to get more done is that what you would see as well absolutely yeah and I do that you know I've got a particular workshop I deliver around energy management and it's helping yeah. people understand the four elements of, of managing your energy levels all sounds a bit ooh, but it's not it's grounded in science and research so like you said when we look at the mental stuff I share with them some of the basics around the brain and how it works and how actually we're trying to override a lot of the mechanisms that go our physical and mental mechanisms that go on that you can't you can override but at some point they're going to come up and catch you yeah and they do that in anxiety and depression and other illnesses um so when you share like you said people go oh that explains it all right my brain uses 20 percent of my daily is my physical daily energy but then I can't use any more than that. That's why I get to the end of the day and it takes me 15 minutes to write an email, but it's taken me two. Oh, I get that now. Absolutely. So yeah, it's really important 
So I think, you know, you and I are very similar, aren't we? We, we take the neuroscience and we make it practical and relevant to everyday people. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I, you know, I know myself, I would switch off. If people want something that's loads more technical, well, there'll be lots of people out there that can provide them with that. Um, you know, but for me, I would generally kind of just glaze over and I'm very much on a, yeah, but what can we do to fix this type thing, really? But they need enough of the why that makes it really compelling and yes. urges them to want to do it and stick to it and keep it going. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I was really lucky. I grew up, my dad was a neurosurgeon, then became a GP, but he was brilliant at explaining really complex things in simple terms. So I kind of picked up that knack from him, if you like. Wow, um, that's fantastic. But I think, yeah, when people do, when you explain it and you see the reason for it, then they're more likely to embrace it. But it's funny, isn't it? I mean, we talk about, I once got a great quote from um, Brian Tracy, I think, no, Zig Ziglar it was, talking about motivation. And he yeah. said, motivation's like bathing. You need to do it every day because the effects wear off, you know, and we need to be reminded of this stuff on an almost daily basis because otherwise we forget there are so many competing things for our attention. And that's how I ended up where I ended up last year was forgetting. Forgetting. Yeah, yeah. exactly that. If you could give just one piece of advice or you would want people to do just one thing out of anything at all that would help with their you know, their, their mental health or, or their mental toughness or boundaries or anything like that. What do you think it would be? I'm going to say something that might shock people and it's based on something that I've been reading recently. It would be contemplate your own death. Wow. Yeah. Contemplate your own death. And the reason for that, it might sound very macabre and what the hell are you talking about, is that once you start to realise that, you start to realise, I think for me, what's really important in life and that is the single biggest thing that helps you set those boundaries because you realize no one ever gets to their deathbed and says god i wish i worked longer hours <laughs> another door to the never and so when you realize that actually just how fragile life is i'm 49 now so i you know i have i have no none of us know how long we've got left and suddenly when you get to 49 you're thinking oh, i've got a lot less days ahead of me than i did have than i've had so it starts to make you think about actually what's really important. And that bit, I think, helps, for me anyway, helps with boundaries because you can just say, you know what, it's that this is what's important to me, not, not something else. That is, that is so, so compelling. So all of the listeners, what does that make you do differently? Um, drop us an email and I will share it with Anthony. Everybody knows they can get me at emma at emmalankton.com if they've been listening to the podcast long enough. If people do want to get in touch with you directly, though, where would that be? Uh, best place is go to either my website, which is 359.com, 359.com. It's a nod to Roger Bannister breaking the four-minute mile, or look me up on LinkedIn, Anthony Taylor Mental Fitness. I'm really active on there as well. That's absolutely brilliant. So I'll put all the links in the show notes. I want to thank you so much for joining me today i could talk to you for absolutely hours but i'm sure everybody else has got other things to do so thank you so much my pleasure thank you very much for having me